so many people are used to the idea of a couple being like what comes first. So whenever you approach non-monogamy at all, you have to kind of start breaking down what that looks like. You have to like, I think you need to be willing to sort of unpack these sort of, again, societal norms that we all grow up with and recognize that like, you know, this, this idea of, of you being in an trenched into each other's stuff couple doesn't have to be true in non-monogamy. It doesn't like you can still be together, but separate autonomous human beings. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently, and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult the medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 194. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a super fun interview. Though they're all super fun, right? But... Another super fun interview with Mandy. Yeah, Mandy's fantastic, (laughs) full of energy, uh, a true delight. She is. Uh, So we're really excited for this. She is about 33 years old. She lives in Maine. She's got an awesome YouTube channel called Mainly Mandy. Yes, go check it out. Definitely go check it out. A handful of really great videos on different relationship styles, unicorn hunting. She'll talk about that one. It's just great energy, a fantastic conversation, and we're really excited to have her on the show and get all of her work out in the world. So thank you, Mandy, for being here. Uh, Thank you, listeners, for listening. One quick note uh, about something that was mentioned during this episode that we wanted to clarify. Uh, She brought up uh, Dedeker's book. Dedeker is one of the co-hosts of the Multi-Amory podcast, and none of us could remember exactly what the name was. It is The Good Girl's Guide to Polyamory. Nope. Nope. I still (laughs) fucked it up. The Smart Goddammit. (laughs) Smart girl's guide. The smart girl's guide to polyamory. This is what I did during the episode. You think I'd have learned? The smart girl's guide to polyamory. You even wrote it down. <laughs> I did not. You wrote it down. You wrote it down in your notes. Oh, I did. Well, here and we are. So did I, and you still <laughs> fucked it up. So let's let's say that one more time in case you missed it. The smart girl's guide to polyamory by Dedeker, one of the co-hosts of Multiamory. Sorry, Dedeker. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put links to that book in the show notes, though, for sure. Yeah, so. so you don't have to remember it, and neither do we. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, now we know it. So Do we? we, we yeah. You don't we think we'll ever it. mess that up again? Well, don't jinx us. Anyway. I'm just, I'm just I know us well. <laughs> Thank you, Mandy, for reaching out, coming on the show. We love talking to you, and we're excited to get this interview out there. Before we jump into her interview, we do have a lot of really exciting announcements. So if you usually skip through these announcements, please listen this time because we have a lot of exciting ones. And this intro is going to be a little bit longer, but we're going to try to get through things as quick as possible. Considering it's already been over two minutes because you messed messed up up the name. Okay, you messed up the name (laughs) of the book. (laughs) All right. So and then we went on and on about it. The the standard announcements we just wanted to say up front are uh, thank you to all of the amazing Patreon members. We're over 170 of you, um, and it's just awesome. So thank you. A couple of quick dates on that. We've got the women's group call is tonight, so there's still time to sign up if you're looking for a group of amazing ladies. To, yes, that's August 18th. Yes. And then we've got next week, a week from today, we've got our monthly Q&A. So if you're that's looking- August 25th. August 25th. <laughs> 
Thank you. I'm trying to go fast. I know, but you're like skipping important details. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're looking for awesome community of open-minded, like-minded, supportive people, check out our Patreon. It's a couple bucks a month. We've gotten so much out of it. We love it. Again, thank you to everyone who's a part of it. And we hope to see you there. Yes. And the we'll have calls in September too. So if you miss August, come back in September. There'll, there'll be calls again. Yes. The next one is we're bringing back our virtual meet and greet in Woo-hoo! September. Everybody has been bugging us. Yes. Kindly bugging us. Thanks for your patience as we took a couple months off for the summer. But the next virtual meet and greet will be September 22nd. That is a Wednesday night from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern or 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific. That's correct. And we are uh, super excited for this. We did change up a couple of things this this go around. We're this trying, season. trying some new things. Yeah, so the cost is no longer $10. It is pay what feels good. We've yes. done this at some of our in-person events in the past. And as you will hear in a few minutes, we're doing this again for our in-person events that are coming up. So when you sign up, you get to select how much this event is worth to you. And afterwards, if you would like, you can also... Throw a couple bucks our way if you felt that you got way more uh, than you expected. Yes. So we don't want cost to be a barrier of entry to anybody for being a part of these types of events and finding this type of community. So everybody is welcome as you are. And thank you. Yes. If you want to sign up for the virtual meet and greet, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and you'll see at the top, we now have a community tab and you'll under there you'll find the virtual meet and greets go sign up there yeah well you're also under that tab you'll find the in-person events which is the huge news we've been (laughs) so excited about we've been waiting for what two years now to do these again because almost two years uh, our last in-person meet and greets we did back in fall of 2019 and back then we were so naive and thought hey in 2020 we'll do a whole bunch of in-person stuff and then apparently We couldn't do that. Apparently, there was a pandemic (laughs) that is still going on. That is still going on. Which brings us to an important point. Yes. Pandemics. First of all, we take your health and our health extremely seriously. And because of that, we feel it's important to talk a little bit about what we are doing to keep these in-person events as safe as possible for all of us to minimize the risk of COVID. Yeah, absolutely. So number one, uh, all of our events are going to be outdoors or in venues like a bar or a restaurant that have a large outdoor patio or large outdoor space to keep us outdoors, keep us spread out as much as possible. Uh, We're going to be talking in a minute about our first event, and it's actually in a city park under a giant picnic pavilion outdoors. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Number two, we're going to make sure to Keep in mind any local guidelines that are out there on um, gathering size or and mask policies. So we will be looking those up and following those guidelines. And the last one is vaccines. So we are requiring at our events everyone to be fully vaccinated. And to do that, what we're asking when you sign up that you give us your uh, dates that you were vaccinated. So either the one date if you got the single dose shot or both dates if you got the double dose shot. So and We're also asking that you bring your vaccination card with you as we may decide to spot check them along the way just to, again, make sure everybody is safe and keeping everyone as safe as possible. Um, This just, again, super important to us. And we understand that this may be something that you strongly disagree with. We understand that. If, If this offends you, please don't send us an email. We're just going to delete it. And 
please don't come to the event. It's not going to be a good fit for you. Uh, we're not going to be a good fit for you. We're going to probably offend you in many other ways. And there's a ton of other events out there that might be a better fit for you. Please find one of those and keep ours as safe as possible. Yes. Thank you in advance for respecting that as we respect your decisions to do what you will with your body. Yes. All right. So with that Now said, the fun stuff. <laughs> well, it's important. that's important stuff. So this is also important. Our first in-person meet and greet. I almost said virtual. but <laughs> it's, it's not virtual. I'm so used to that. Our first in-person meet and greet, greet will be in Ann Arbor, Michigan. That's going to be on... September 28th from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern. So this is going to be outdoors at a city park and we have a pavilion reserved and we're going to be meeting and greeting. Yeah. And we've also pulled a permit. So you are allowed to bring alcohol if you would like. You can bring food if you would like. Uh, we won't be providing either of these things. Maybe some snacks. Yeah. I don't know. Finn's always eating. So <laughs> we'll there's, a good, there's, there's a good chance I'll have some food there. But <laughs> Uh, all of the full details on the exact location are available once you sign up. And uh, again, this event is a pay what feels good event. So when you sign up, you get to select how much it's worth to you. And so the other events we have coming up are uh, a tentative dates. We don't have full details on these ones like we do for Ann Arbor, but we've got one in Atlanta, Georgia, that's going to be on October 13th. Again, time to be determined and location to be determined. We're ironing that out in the next couple of days and potentially one on October 27th in Tampa, Florida. Yes. And the other important piece that we wanted to mention here on these in-person meet and greets is that if we do end up canceling them for whatever reason, uh, most likely that would be a COVID-related reason, uh, we will be issuing full re refunds to any everyone. Exactly. And so, again, if you have any questions about this, please send us an email unless it's telling us that we're assholes for the vaccination thing. Those will be deleted. <laughs> you don't need to send that. <laughs> promptly. Um, and if you head over to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the Community Events tab uh, or drop down, there is one called In-Person Events. And all of this information, plus how to sign up for these different events, uh, is there. Yes. We can't wait for all of these exciting events, both virtual and in-person, coming up this fall. So we can't wait to meet all of you. Thank you for making it through this intro with us. And now let's go talk to Mandy. Yeah. And really quick before we do, we should tell them how to get in touch with us. Oh, well, duh. Go to our website because you're going to go there anyway to sign up for the meet and greets, whether you're doing it in person or virtual. Go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com and click on the contact us page. There you can leave us a voicemail or send us an email. Please do that unless it's about the vaccination policy. <laughs> And also really quick on this as well, um, to stay in the loop on the Atlanta and Tampa uh, meet and greets, you can sign up for our email list. We'll be sending out information as soon as we have it, and you will hear it here on the podcast as well. And you can sign up for an email list there on our website. Yes. That was what I thought I was saying. I, I, yes. I think we're, I think we're, <laughs> we're spiraling. Let's get into this interview before we lose them completely. Let's go. Welcome to the show, Mandy. We're excited to have you here. We're excited to chat. We've been discussing how all of our different animals could potentially interrupt us, but no <laughs> no worries. We've had worse. Yes. We've had cows, chickens, dogs, just about every form of animal has interrupted us. So welcome to the show, the circus. <laughs> 
Thank you for having me. I almost feel like I should have a more exotic animal to interrupt with now. I just have cats. I should have brought a snake or something. <laughs> or like a parrot. Yeah. I, I feel yeah. like I, I feel like snakes are pretty unobtrusive, but a parrot would probably <laughs> that would probably work. Yeah. <laughs> and just thank you for not having a parrot. <laughs> I used to have one years ago, but not not anymore. <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> well, to get us started, do you mind introducing yourself? Uh, just, uh, we know a little bit about you, but not very much. So it'd be great to start there. Yeah, of course. Uh, so my name is mainly Mandy. Um, I'm 33 years old. I live in the state of Maine, if you can tell from the name. I'm bi. I'm polyamorous. Um, specifically, I'm a mixture of like solo polyamory and relationship anarchy. And I've now been polyamorous for just under four years. It'll be four years in September. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's really like succinct introduction. I love it. <laughs> I might um, have practiced it a few times in my head before we started. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. So I guess going back, um, when did you ever learn about different relationship styles? Yeah. Um, so I'm really lucky in that I've just kind of been almost poly adjacent now for she's at least 10 or so years. Um, one of my long-term friends who I met in college, they are polyamorous and have been this whole time. Their, their styles have certainly changed throughout the years, but we met in college. And so all this time I've known them. And as time has gone on, I've just happened. I, I think it helps that being queer, you just kind of naturally group into other people who tend to be a little bit weirdos. I'm also a former theater girl. So you just kind of just meet those kind of strange weirdos who are on the edge of society. We just find each other, I think. <laughs> so yeah, so I've just known about it now for a while. And as, as time has gone on, I've certainly learned a lot more than I used to. It used to be this kind of thing I sort of knew about on the fringe because my friend would sometimes mention like, oh, I at one point they were in a triad, for example. So they would tell me stories about what was going on with that. And like, oh, going on a date with two people at once, that sounds complicated. I guess I'll just stay monogamous for the rest of my life. <laughs> Little did I know. Uh, <laughs> so I think it's just always been sort of like around me. Um, and here in Portland, where I live now in Maine, um, it's definitely uh, a bit more of a larger community. There's more of a concentration here. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And so like, growing up, did you... Like, it sounds like you introduced, introduced this concept in college, right? Did you mm -hmm. have any background before that? Not really, no. Um, I grew up in central Maine, which is very uh, straight, cis, and white, and very monogamous-centric. You know, it's not where people move away from there, typically, if you're anything not that. You know what I mean? If you don't fit into that box. So I really didn't know anything other than the occasional, like, TV threesome, I might see. Um, like I used to watch Nip Tuck a lot, and occasionally they had some kind of forms of non-monogamy on that show. Uh, but in terms of like anybody I knew in real life, no, I really didn't know anything about it until college. And what happened four years ago that took you over the threshold from I have a roommate who's polyamorous to here we go. Yeah. Um, so just to be clear, actually, um, my friend wasn't a roommate. We were just friends. We just known each oh, other this I'm whole sorry. time. Um, oh, no, no worries. I, I might not have explained that very well. Um, but yeah, so a little, oh, there goes my cat. Hello. So a little over four years ago, um, I was in a monogamous relationship with someone who I loved very dearly. We had a great relationship. We lived together. And, um, while we were together, I found myself developing feelings for another person. And I do have to be a little vague on some of these details just to protect people's privacy and, and whatnot. Um, but it was this interesting situation because I never felt my love for the person I was living with, my nesting partner 
waning in any way. I still loved him very much, but I also was developing feelings for this other person who was also in a monogamous relationship. And so there was a lot of discussion that happened between myself and my nesting partner about like, what did this mean? Are you comfortable with this? And, um, the, the, the long story short of this is that he was very not comfortable with that. Um, he'd actually once had a, a similar situation with polyamory and it had not ended very well. And so he had a very negative association, unfortunately, uh, which is fair. I can understand where he was coming from with that. And the other person who I, I honestly did, I, I fell in love with him. Uh, he never indicated a, a desire to leave his current relationship and I didn't want to cheat. So nothing really ever happened with that. Um, so after, as that situation was kind of winding down, my partner and I, we, we had a, a, a very honest talk about like what our future was going to be. And we decided it would be, it would make the most sense to, to break up and go our separate ways as amicably as possible. So, um, we planned for me to move out at the end of August and I did, I moved into my current place, which I live here by myself with my two cats and, uh, he has since moved on and has been dating other people and seems to be happy in, in his life. But that was kind of the big lightning strike moment for me was realizing like, oh, I, I can love more than one person at a time. And I does, even though the situation itself was very stressful and it caused me to really think about a lot of things, the, 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 the love itself didn't feel wrong, I guess. Like if it weren't for the fact that we were both monogamous, I think it could have worked, but we weren't, so it didn't work out that way. Um, so that, that was the big moment for change for me. Yeah. And that's super hard because like, like you said, your feelings for your nesting partner hadn't waned. So like Mm -hmm. you have to go through this breakup while you're still very much in love because it's just looking ahead that it wasn't going to like be sustainable. Your, your styles weren't going to align. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really hard. So I'm sorry for that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. So when you did, I guess, dive into then other, you broke up that, re- ended that relationship and moved in by yourself. What mm-hmm. did, what next steps did you take, I guess, relationship wise? Um, so I'm kind of a bit of a nerd that if I don't understand something very well, I want to research it before I do it. Um, like if I want to learn how to make bath bombs, I'm going to like read a bunch of Pinterest blogs. So I know how to do it. Right. So (laughs) I started reading all the classic books. I read the ethical slut. I read sex at dawn. I read, um, uh, what's her name? A dedicator from the multi-emory podcast, her book, the smart guy. Yeah. 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 Smart girl, good girl. I think smart girls. Smart girl, good girl, whatever it is. Some girls guide to polyamory. I really like that book too. Um, and I just started reading all these books. I started reading articles. I started listening to a bunch of podcasts and was just absorbing as much as I could. Cause I didn't, I already knew that newcomers to the polyamory world can sometimes kind of come in at a disadvantage because sometimes more um, experienced polyamory folk don't want to date them. And and with good reason. I can understand why that boundary exists for some people. It can be hard to date someone who has literally no idea what they're doing. And sometimes people come in and say, I'm ready to be polyamorous. And then they have one bout of jealousy and go, nope, never mind. And they just immediately jump sip again. So I really wanted to take that time to make sure that I was educating myself and really trying to start unpacking all of those sort of monogamous centric ideas I had grown up with all this time before I just immediately started dating people. So I don't think I even started, I don't think I made my first dating app um, profile until, let's see, I broke up with my nesting partner in September. 
So I think it was like December or January before I even made a dating app because um, I was just made a dating app. The first time I made a dating profile (laughs) was several months later because I just really wanted to be sure I knew what I was doing and had sort of those those boundaries and um, sort of uh, myself figured out before just jumping right in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how did it go when you did jump in? Yeah. Well, first I have one other quick question. Did you, okay. did you, I'm curious what happened the other person that you developed feelings for, did that relationship continue or what happened there? Um, so he, he's still in a monogamous relationship with the person that he was with and they've been together a very long time. And I think they're going to probably be together for the rest of their lives. And I, I wish him well. Um, we are still friends, but, uh, that's, there's definitely some, some boundaries I've established between the two of us just for my, my own sake of being, because I can, my, my heart's a dumb, dumb sometimes, you know, it can just start fluttering for the stupidest reasons. Um, so I, I have a little bit of distance between us now, but, um, he's still in that same relationship and I wish him well, but, uh, we're just, we're just friends now. Yeah. Just friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, yeah. and now how did it, what Finn said was, how did it go once you dove into dating? Um, <laughs> the way it always goes when you jump into dating, no matter what you're doing. Um, but it's, it's definitely challenging. I'm in Maine, which is not the biggest state. Uh, I'm queer, which also whittles down the, the dating pool and I'm child-free and I'm now polyamorous. So it definitely was challenging. Sometimes I would sometimes match with someone. We'd start talking, we get to the polyamory discussion and, uh, they were not always super thrilled with it. Or they would say like, oh, well I would be okay to date for a little bit, but then I eventually want to find my forever partner. And there's nothing wrong with people like that. Um, I just know, I don't like the idea of dating someone getting attached to them and then them going, oh, this other person's promising me monogamy. So see ya, you know, I, I don't want to deal with that either. So I had a few situations like that. Um, somebody who I would had, some fantastic conversations with very early on. We met in, it was like January of, um, following that breakup. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we saw each other for a while. Everything was going really well. And we had those conversations about polyamory and he seemed to be totally on board with it. And then in, I think it was like April or May, we ended up breaking up because then he realized he wasn't okay with it after all, which is about the time that me and a, a friend of mine were developing like a sexual friendship basically. And, I had asked him how he felt about that. Like if we, like, did he was okay seeing it? Did he want us to keep that to ourselves? And he wasn't really sure. And then in his own time, he sat down, thought about it and realized, oh, I actually, I'm not comfortable with any of this at all. I was like, oh, okay. So we broke up again, very amicable. Um, Both he and my former nesting partner are people I'm still in touch with. Like we still text each other sometimes. So all this is very amicable. And I don't think it's wrong for people to realize that polyamory isn't their thing or any brand of non-monogamy. Um, but admittedly it was a little disappointing because I was like, ah, I did, I did everything I was supposed to. It was on my dating profile. I made sure to tell them my specific brand of polyamory. Like we, I did everything right. What's going on here. So it was, it was a little disappointing to, to start off with at first. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like, good on you for doing all that. I think what's hard there is that, right? Like somebody can say like, oh yeah, I think I could do that. And then the first time that it like actually happens, it's like, oh, maybe yeah. I can't do this. And like, that was kind of what you said. I think where sometimes people who've been doing poly for a while can be a little standoffish towards people who are new. Cause they think, you know, oh, well you think you know what you're doing, but you haven't actually like 
tested this and I don't really want to fall in love with you or really develop feelings and then have you decide it's not for you. Like that can be a hard thing to go through. So I, I'm sympathetic to that. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think I do see the frustration then from like the new, the newcomer's perspective of like, I don't know, I always liken it to like when you graduate college and you're looking for that entry level job that wants 10 years of experience and all of this stuff. And you're like, well, how the hell am I supposed to get experience if no one will give me a job kind of thing? So I, I can see both sides of that, that coin. uh, Yeah, totally. Very well. So a hundred percent. Yeah. It's like, look, if you just hire me, I I promise I will work my little heart out, but you got to give me a chance. But some people, they don't, they want someone who's a little more of a a sure thing. And and I get that. I totally do. Um, but it, it can be certainly a bit frustrating on the other end of things. Yeah. Yeah. But it sounds like, so you had a little bit of frustrating time those first few months. Yeah. Um, did it turn around? It did. Um, as time went on, I think it helped that I, I started to connect more with the actual like main polyamory community. Um, I started to also explore, I, I had sort of explored a little bit of some of my kink side, um, prior to this, but not as much. So I was taking this time to like, okay, I'm jumping into polyamory. I also came out as bisexual at the same time. I came out as polyamorous. Um, this also seems like a good time to throw in a little bit of kink too and see what happens. So there was, um, even though sometimes the dating didn't always work out, there was also this other stuff I was getting to explore. I was getting to flirt with women more and I was getting to, um, connect with my friend who it turned out we had some similar kinks that was like, yeah, let's, let's see what happens. And that's continued to this day that we've had it. We've had to take breaks on and off again because, um, he has, he has a kid and he has another kid on the way. So that, you know, takes up his time sometimes, but we've managed to make that, that work. Um, there's, um, there was a woman that I dated for a few months who's also polyamorous and, uh, we've since de-escalated things, but she's still like one of my best friends and we get along great. And she's someone who we can talk about this stuff together, especially where both of us approach things from a, a solo polyamorous, um, viewpoint. And so I think once I connected to the polyamorous community, even though, Maybe I haven't dated as much as some people because I just, I did take my time and I I do tend sometimes get busy. Plus a pandemic happened, which made things a lot harder. Um, It it still has kind of all worked out in a nice way that I've kind of gotten to create this nice little community around me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was hoping you could, you've you've mentioned community a few times just in the last maybe minute or so. Like what, (laughs) looks like you, you've built some community around you. And I think like, I'd love to hear more about like what that looks like and how, how that has supported you and been important as part of this journey. Yeah. Um, so I joined a couple of the like local Facebook online communities, um, that are like, there's one that's like specifically for me. And then there was one that's for new England. And in doing that, I've made more connections to other people. Um, my, the, the woman that I, I dated for a while, then we deescalated things. Um, she, myself and another person ended up starting a polyamory discussion group that's just local. Um, and it's been kind of interesting to do during the pandemic because since it's online, we can connect with some people who are further away that we might not be able to come if we were just focused on Maine. So we have some people from like Massachusetts and Connecticut who show up sometimes. Um, and that's been really a great way to, to connect with everybody and also to just talk about some of the specific challenges we have. Um, like for me, I feel like a big problem was that I was dealing with a lot of like, sometimes when someone would express interest in me, it seemed like they were coming at me from a very hierarchical kind of viewpoint. And I don't think hierarchy is necessarily bad. Um, but sometimes when you have someone saying like, Oh, 
I have a primary and I'm going to do whatever the primary wants, no matter what. It's kind of like, oh, but like, I don't want to get vetoed if your primary is feeling jealous or I, I don't like the idea of other people having a say in my relationship that isn't in the relationship, if that, if that makes sense. So sometimes just getting to talk to other people and bounce those concerns off of them was really helpful for me navigating. Cause there, there, there was a time during, I mean, so I've, um, now been almost out, out as polyams for four years. And in that time, I really haven't had that many partners. I just, it's been mostly either sexual connections or like we've stated for a while and then broken up. So there have been times when I just haven't felt poly enough. Like that imposter syndrome will just hit me really hard in the head. So having the community has been a really good way of having people go, no, 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 you're definitely poly. You talk about it all the time. You, I mean, obviously now I've made a YouTube channel about it. Clearly I'm polyamorous, but sometimes the outside world can just make you doubt yourself a lot. So having that community has been really important for me to just remind myself that, yeah, no, I am, I am part of this community. I am an important part of this community and I'm going to continue being part of it even as time changes and we have to adjust to various challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's super important. Like it's a little bit of validation, right? That like, yeah, yeah, even if you haven't gone on a date with somebody in a couple of weeks or hell, a couple of months, like that doesn't change your philosophies and the way that you move about the world. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. I like that. I was also curious, you know, we, we hear from people a lot that talk about like the struggle of meeting people at, for polyamorous like dynamics have you found that creating the community that you wanted has maybe opened doors that weren't there before and not that you like built a community just so you could hook up with everybody who like shows up to the discussion group but like it is a good way to like you you attract people yeah yeah, you attract attract people like yourself to things that you create and i was just curious if you've seen that work for you I would say, yeah, honestly, there, there has been, um, some opportunities that have definitely come from creating the community and being more connected with other people for sure. Uh, definitely was not aiming for it. It wasn't like, yes, I, I shall get to all of the partners now. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> the ultimate goal of polyamory right, is to get like one of each gender. Uh, so it's been, um, really nice to connect with people in various different ways. And some of those people have become like kind of kinky friends that I talk to about that kind of aspect of my life. And then other ones are my queer friends who I can talk to about like, uh, being bisexual sometimes is hard because that's another imposter syndrome you get sometimes from the queer community. Um, so having those people to connect with has been really great. And then there is the, the dating aspect of there's definitely some people who are interested in me, which makes sense. I'm adorable. And that's sometimes nice to explore. You are. And humble. Thank you. And humble, I, yes. I'm so humble. I'm the most <laughs> humble person you'll ever meet. Um, <laughs> I love so, it. So yeah, like there, there's definitely been some of that. Um, I, I did go through a bit of a period, particularly with the pandemic, where it was kind of like, I appreciate all of your interests, but I need to like sit in my room in the fetal position for the next year. So hopefully we'll get in touch again soon. So there hasn't been as much admittedly because of that, but I'm starting to now come back into things and things are opening up again. Everyone's getting vaccinated, which is great. Um, so hopefully those, those doors and those connections can continue to open and be made. Mm-hmm. What, I think we skipped over this earlier. What does your dynamic look like right now as far as your relationships? Yeah. So, uh, right now I have, uh, one long distance relationship with somebody who lives in Texas. Uh, interestingly enough, he considers himself monogamous and we can talk about that more if you'd like. Um, and then I have three 
I like to call them sexual friendships just because I feel like friends with benefits has been kind of turned into this very casual dismissive term. Um, but they are three people that I sometimes get together with and we take off our clothes and see what happens. Um, granted some of them I haven't seen as much because of, again, the pandemic, but, uh, we've made things work and we have very conscious conversations about like safety and, and such. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I think yeah. we'd love to circle back to yeah. your monogamous partner because yeah. I think that is, I think that shows um, maybe a level of acceptance outside of, it kind of goes back to that, right? Like some people aren't willing to mess around with poly people who are new and you're like, mm-hmm. I don't even care if this person's polyamorous. Like I look at the relationship, I look at the person and we figure it out for ourselves and I like that. Yeah, um, so, uh, yeah, my, my partner that lives in Texas, um, we, we met in a charming dating app called Twitter and <laughs> we had just been following each other for a, a long time. And so I talk about being polyamorous on Twitter quite often. So he knew, and it became this dynamic where, you know, originally we were just liking each other's tweets and then you're in each other's DMS. And then next thing you know, we have each other's numbers. And it's really been in the last couple of months that we became like officially romantic partners And we had a a really um, in-depth conversation um, at the start of things where it was like, look, clearly there's some flirting and some stuff happening here. How do you feel about the fact that I'm polyamorous? And he said to me, like, I I don't mind it at all. I'm totally okay with it. I just don't think I want more than one partner myself. He's just the energy that he has really, he doesn't have enough for more than one partner right now. And I was like, that's fine with me as long as you don't expect me to drop everything if you feel jealous. And I, I'm solely willing to, for us to have conversations about what, how much you want to hear or not hear. And we can certainly discuss certain things like that. Um, but I'm just never going to be able to promise you that I'm going to one day give it all up and, you know, become your wife or, or anything like that. And he was like, that's fine. That's fine. Um, I think sometimes the, the relationships between polyamorous and monogamous people can work as long as there's sort of this understanding that the person who's monogamous isn't like sitting there seething and resentful that you're off dating other people. Like, I think it has to be kind of like when your boundaries kind of are compatible, even if they're not the same, like, you know, his boundary is he won't date more than one person, not he won't date someone who dates more than one person. You know what I mean? Like there, you have to have those kind of compatible, um, boundaries to make that work. And we do, and we talk a lot and he's been very supportive. Um, he actually helps me write my captions on my YouTube videos. So like he, he's very aware of what I'm doing and everything. So it would be very difficult for me to like, I don't think we could have a relationship where I was just like hiding. We can't have to do like a don't ask, don't tell situation or anything like that. We have a very honest, communicative relationship, at least so far. And hopefully that, that continues. Yeah. And how do you make the long distance work then? Very carefully. Um, <laughs> we're, we've been getting into this rhythm about every other weekend where we'll do like some kind of like online date. Usually it's, we'll eat the same food, Um, maybe order from the same place or make something and then we'll watch something together. We actually had a date this past Friday where we got together and we watched um, (laughs) such a random movie, but it's called Oscar. It was in 1991 with Sylvester Stallone. It's like a very weird screwball comedy that he had never seen. I was like, Ooh, let's watch it. So we watched that together while also being on zoom together. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that helps. I think also we, you know, we check in with each other here and there just to like, help us seem like we're still a part of each other's lives, even though we are in that distance. So sometimes I'll be like, Oh, I'm I'm taking a walk and I'll film it for him. So he can see where I'm walking. And then I send that to him or I'll be like, Oh, I saw this really cute cat or something, you know, or 
I saw a book that made me think of you because he's always reading. Um, and I think that, and he does stuff like that too, right back at me. He'll be like, oh, me and my mom are out shopping today and this is what we bought, you know? And I think that helps us to feel more connected, even though there is that big distance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you experienced, I guess, have you experienced jealousy or insecurities in navigating polyamory? I have a little bit. Um, there has been times when I have felt for sure some insecurity welling up. I've noticed that a lot of my jealousy tends to come from a kind of like FOMO almost. It's that fear of missing out. Like, oh, you're doing something with this other person and I'm not there and I'm missing out on that. And then I have to kind of talk myself through like, okay, well, first of all, do you even want to be there? Like if they're rock climbing, do you have any interest in that? And the answer is no. I'm terrified of heights. I have no interest in rock climbing. They can have that. That's fine. Um, so then I have to think about like, well, okay, what are the things that I have with this other person? And, and this is something I experience not even just in romantic relationships. I can experience this in friendships as well. Like if I see two of my friends have gone to the beach together, it's like, oh, I kind of would have liked to have gone to the beach too. Actually, I'm in my pajamas playing Mass Effect right now. Do I really want to get a bra on or a bikini? Nah, I don't. <laughs> so sometimes you just have to talk yourself through it and recognize what you already have that works for you. And then also recognize like, oh, I'm going to hang out with so-and-so next weekend anyway. We're going to do something that we want to do. So who cares? Like, I think I just have to talk myself through it sometimes. Yeah. And I, I asked that because I was going to tie that back into your long distance partner in that yeah. if he came to you and asked, you know, like change his mind and wanted to go and date other people, do you think with the distance either, do you think that would make any insecurities or jealousies come up with you, especially considering the long distance piece. That's what I'm trying to get at is that right. that can be, that can add a level of difficulty to relationships. I'm just trying to instill fear into your relationship. <laughs> no, I'm not <laughs> at all. No, no, that's so true. And honestly, I, I have thought about that before. Um, and likewise for him, because like he lives where he lives in Texas, he's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. There's just like not a lot of stuff around. So sometimes when I'm telling about all this other stuff I'm doing, I'm like, oh gosh, I hope I'm not making you jealous. Cause like I live in a city, there's plenty of stuff to do. Even with the pandemic, there's, you know, I have a busy life. Um, so no, I, I definitely thought about the reverse of if he does decide to date other people, if I could get jealous. Um, and I mean, you, you could drive yourself crazy thinking about that, right? You, you never totally. know. Um, so I try not to think too far ahead, but we have the kind of connection and honesty in our communication that if he ever changes his mind and wants to date other people, and I do feel jealous, I feel confident that we can talk through that and figure it out and figure out what the best solution is for us. And if that does involve us breaking up, then that's what will happen. And that will be what's best for us, but it's going to be a, a mindful conversation and I I'm sure we'll, we'll handle as best, as best we can. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you for sharing all that. It was more, I didn't mean to instill any fear in your relationship whatsoever. It was, it was more. Emma, Emma the fear monger. Yeah. <laughs> what, was, what about if this crazy scenario happens? It was more acknowledging that. <laughs> if he the, murders you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I just, and other people we've talked to, like, I know that the distance can add a level of complexity. So I was just curious on your thoughts on that. That's all. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And I, I definitely think about it sometimes. I, I do wonder if it almost helps 
quote unquote, that he lives somewhere where there's not a lot going on. So I don't feel maybe as like protective of him. Like maybe that helps. Maybe if he lived in a a busier city with more people that might activate it a little bit more of like, oh, he's, he's somewhere, he's in Austin and he's like dating lots of people and, oh, I'm not there. Like maybe that, that would be part of it. I'm not sure. I can't, again, who knows what alternate universe Amanda's doing? I have no idea. (laughs) It's all, it's all hypothetical. (laughs) Exactly. But, um, I, I will say that in terms of the people that like I've dated here in Maine and the ones who have gone on other dates, I really haven't felt much jealousy towards them being with other people. If I ever felt a little bit of FOMO, I usually can kind of talk myself through it or just take care of myself for a little bit. And it usually hasn't been a problem really. So I would like to think it hopefully will not be a problem with him, but who, who knows? We'll see what who happens. Knows? Yeah, <laughs> don't know. yeah. I think too, like, I was just curious, you've mentioned being queer a few times. Like, do you mind talking mm-hmm. a little bit about what, what that means for you? And then maybe we can yeah. build on that. I have a couple, maybe like follow-up questions on it as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm one of those people that, again, I grew up in central Maine, a very straight, cis, white state, <laughs> and especially cis, straight, white part of the state. And so I can't say that I grew up knowing I was queer. It was uh, not until I was in college, for which happens to a lot of people, I suppose, um, that I started realizing, like, I might not be completely straight. Um, growing up, I also was always presented with... Um, uh, queerness being a binary. So you're either gay or you're straight. And I knew from a young age, I liked boys. Like I, I just knew it with women. It was always more like I wanted to, I, I would admire them, but because I was only ever understanding the idea of admiring women completely as either being, you love them and you don't love boys, or you just like them because they're your friends. I just thought that meant, Oh, I just like her. She's just neat. I have a theory that, um, neat is queer for, I actually have a crush on you, but I'm not ready to recognize that yet. Um, so like, for example, Michelle Pfeiffer, very neat. Uh, that's one of my, I used to have a big thing for Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman and did not realize it until much later. Um, <laughs> same, same with, uh, uh, Charlize Theron. She's another one of those neat people that I now realize like, Oh, I have a big crush on you. Um, well, if they're so, listening, hopefully they reach out. Right. <laughs> Oh my God, please don't. I think I would die. Charlize Theron got in touch with me. Oh gosh. Charlize, I love you in Atomic Blonde. I'll just get that out there. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, it was sometime in college where that was my my phase of like, you know, getting drunk at parties and you make out with whoever. Sometimes it's a girl. And then sometimes like during the, the week when I'd be going to classes, I would see an attractive woman and just think to myself, oh wow, she's so pretty. I wish I was at a party drunk so I could make out with her. Like, and it took me a few times before I stopped and went, you know, there's another option that doesn't involve being drunk <laughs> off my ass to be with a woman, Amanda. Uh, not to mention, this is around the time I started to learn about trans people and non-binary people. Because again, lived in a very small main town, did not meet my first trans person until probably college, I think, or, or close to, or outwardly trans, I should say, because I probably didn't just didn't know it. So once I started realizing that that was more of an option, I, I did have these like, again, long conversations with myself of like, okay, what does this mean for me? So for a while, um, like a little bit after, like the years after college up until I was 29, um, I called myself heteroflexible for a while, which was my way of saying like, okay, I'm definitely not completely straight, but I don't know if I'm interested in actually pursuing women because women are pretty and scary. So I think I'll just admire them from over here and occasionally maybe we'll make out, but I don't know if I'm ready to like really pursue women 
And it wasn't until I was 29 and after I had left my last relationship, monogamous relationship, that I decided to start calling myself bisexual. And I, I think labels are really fascinating about how they can fit into our minds, even if it doesn't always fit exactly into the, the greater consciousness. But for me, calling myself bisexual was a way of sort of saying, okay, I am now actively open and seeking relationships with anybody across the gender binary, um, non-binary, the, the gender spectrum. There we go. That's the right word. Um, so I now do sometimes respond to women's, uh, profiles and dating apps. I sometimes ask women out on dates, not very often. Cause again, they're still very pretty and I'm still scared a true bisexual disaster over here. Um, <laughs> but I, I do make that effort and I, I, I sometimes ask out men and non-binary folks as well. Um, and that's been kind of the, the journey. I definitely have gotten more comfortable in calling myself queer as, as the last few years, especially have gone on. And I think, again, that helps with the community aspect of connecting more with the local LGBT uh, plus scene and having more friends who are outwardly queer, who are also uh, exploring themselves and figuring their stuff out too. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and thank you for sharing all of that. And I think it kind of goes with the, the question that I had of like, how have you seen yourself like grow and change over the last few years since you started exploring non-monogamy? But it sounds like that also coincided with exploring your queerness as well. So I maybe it's hard to separate those two, but it, it is. Um, I know there's, it's that time of year where we're all debating whether or not being polyamorous makes you queer or not. Um, but I know for myself, it, the, the queerness and the polyamorous sort of both of those aspects of my life are kind of, um, mixed together. And I, and again, I think it just helps that there's such a crossover anyway, just in the world, there's tends to be a lot of polyamorous queers out there. So I think it's been really interesting to explore both of those things at the same time, as well as some of the kinky stuff as well. Um, so I think honestly, in the last few years, I feel like exploring both of those things have really helped me to become more confident. Um, along with all of this on top of this, um, I've also been actually, <laughs> I keep liking to say it. I've been trying, which is I have been exploring going to stand up, like going to open mics. Finally, I didn't start doing that until literally I was 30 was my first one. Um, so, so if anyone out there is listening, by the way, uh, 30 is not the end of your life. Like I did not start doing anything until I was in my thirties. Like, trust me, twenties are still really young. Be a mess until you're 30 and you'll be fine. Trust me. <laughs> That's we, my PSA. Con- <laughs> I was like, can we continue to be a mess through our thirties? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, you can for sure. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying that I just feel like there's just such this like pressure that by 30, you have to have your whole life figured out. And I'm here to say, no, oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. I'll be a mess until I'm 50. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> I'll just be a mess our whole life. Like it's part of life. Like it's exactly. just, you just continue growing and changing and just doing your thing. And it's okay. Right. I mean, I think that's been, this is, I feel like this is like really a tangent now, so we can, we can totally circle back here in a second, but I feel like one great thing about growing up is like, you get to like your, your late twenties and your thirties and you go, this is what my mom was dealing with. Holy crap. No wonder I'm so screwed up. She could barely keep herself together. I can't imagine having kids right now and trying to figure this all out too. Like, oh my gosh. Cause on top of all this, I'm also child free. So that's been another thing to, to explore throughout the years. Um, right. So yeah, it's, it's wild to me. 
Yeah, it really does. And I'm like, geez, like the fact that I'm sane at all is a testament to the people that helped me grow up. So thank you, everybody, so much. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I went on a giant tangent and I do not remember what we were talking about. I'm so sorry. No, it's perfect. <laughs> I think it was, the question was really just like how you've seen yourself grow and change over the last few years um, since right. you started doing this. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say I've become a lot more confident in myself. I've, I've gotten a lot braver in terms of what I'm willing to explore and what I'm willing to try. I still have my boundaries. Of course, I still have zero interest climbing a mountain or jumping out of a plane because I don't like heights, but I have gone on stage and performed stand up in a mostly empty room in a bowling alley. So I've done that. Um, and I was even having a little bit more success right before the pandemic hit. I premiered my first burlesque number, um, a month before the pandemic hit Maine. And I co-hosted a burlesque that was pirate themed a week before I got here. So like, I, I've got to finally start doing these really exciting, cool things that I was getting paid for, which was just, just blew my mind. Um, and then of course, pandemic kind of put a little bit of a, a pause in everything, yeah. but I'm starting to do it again now with, um, having started a YouTube channel. And now that things are starting to open up, I've been having some people say like, Oh, are you interested in possibly doing some shows? And I'm like, yes, please. I miss the stage so much. I need validation. I live alone. Help me. <laughs> well, but I mean, just, uh, I've, I have not done it myself, but I have heard that doing stand up is probably one of the hardest things to do. Like you're up there by yourself <laughs> Telling jokes, hoping that people laugh and probably getting heckled or even worse probably is just silent. So like, I mean, yeah, that takes a lot of confidence and yes. bravery. So good on you for that. Yes. Uh, yeah, honestly, I haven't really been heckled much, luckily. Um, I had a little bit of it when I co-hosted the the pirate theme burlesque show just because there was a very drunk person in the front who was just like sh sh shouting things like crap. In, you know, and like, good for them. They were having a good time. They were mostly fine. Um, I will say that the worst experience I had in an open mic was that two guys started to have a fight over a stool <laughs> during my set. And I was just, I didn't know what to do. I, I completely froze. I completely forgot all my jokes. I just stood there silently while these two grown men were screaming over the stool. And I don't know why. I don't know what the stool did. I don't know why they needed to fight over the stool. There were others, but apparently this one in particular was very important. Um, so that, that was one of my worst nights. Uh, I definitely, I just completely forgot all my jokes and was like, just deer in the headlights watching these two men fight. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Well, that, what, well, it's a memorable experience. No wonder you're bi. Uh, right? men, are, men, are, men are assholes. <laughs> they are sometimes, obviously sometimes. present, uh, you know, company excluded. Right. Um, right. Some, sometimes. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it can, it can definitely be challenging, but I, I really love it. I love getting up there and having a joke really land. I love, I even love it sometimes when a joke doesn't land. Cause then you can go back and to the drawing board and go like, what, what didn't work? Was it the, was it the punchline? Was it the setup? Was the setup too long? Sometimes I've had jokes where I really like the punchline, but the rest of it sucked. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm holding onto this punchline. I just got to figure out the, the right story to put it in. You know what I mean? So, mm -hmm. uh, and I've told jokes about being polyamorous and, and bi, and I, I've made a lot of jokes about making, um, uh, dealing with unicorn hunters, especially, which people seem to really enjoy. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's been very cathartic, I think. Yeah. <laughs> is, is the unicorn hunting something that you've dealt with? 
Unfortunately, yes, they're, they're everywhere. And even in here in Maine, um, luckily most of my experiences with them have been pretty benign. Like I can usually, I can spot them a, a unicorn hunter, like a mile away at this point. Um, so if I see one coming, I'm usually like, Nope, no, thank you. And just dodge them like a, you know, the matrix bullets coming at me. <laughs> um, I did have one experience where like very early on when I was, when I first, um, came out as polyamorous, where I had a, a night where I was sort of like, maybe I'll try being a unicorn and see what that's about. So I did purposely seek a couple. This was back when like Craigslist personals were still a thing. So I did have a, a one-time um, experience with, with a couple. And honestly, it was actually pretty decent considering um, it was a little uncomfortable and we were in a couple places, but it wasn't as bad as some. Um, but I've also had some really, really good friends of mine um, deal with some really shitty unicorn hunter situations. Like didn't know that they were expected to date both of them until they had already gotten really invested in one of them and then got vetoed out of it and then saw them telling lies about why they broke up later, like really nasty stuff. So I I'm pretty anti unicorn hunter these days. Do you have any tips, I guess, for people dealing with that dynamic? And maybe we should also back up and do you mind like defining to you what a unicorn hunter is just so that if anyone listening is that familiar? <sighs> Yeah, of course. Um, so unicorn hunting um, typically is when a straight man and a sexually fluid woman of some kind um, are looking for a third to add to their relationship. That's typically the the phrasing they, they do. Um, in a lot of ways, unicorn hunters, um, what they want isn't necessarily a bad thing. Triads can be fantastic. I've known people in triads. Um, the problem specifically is for unicorn hunters and why they specifically get that name is that they tend to still center themselves in the relationship. And then the unicorn is almost like an accessory. She's like a sex toy usually. Um, and that, that's kind of where I, I get a little antsy. It's like, well, she's also a person. She has boundaries. She has feelings. Exactly. And mm-hmm. You know, it's one thing, I, and I, there's definitely a difference between. Um, I, I want to make sure I'm saying this because I, mm-hmm. I recognize the two of you are swingers. There's a difference between wanting to be in a relationship with someone and then swinging for a night. And I think those are both perfectly fine. But mm-hmm. I do see totally. a bit of a distinction between those two. So I want to make sure I'm saying like swingers. I don't have a, an issue with being unicorn for a night or anything like that. I tend to have an issue when someone's saying like, "Oh, we're going to like shove this poor person into our essentially still monogamous relationship." And then blame her if it doesn't work, because yes. a lot of times they want her to essentially just fit perfectly in, into this little puzzle that they've created. And humans aren't like that. You know, it's, it's really hard to, to be everything that another couple has decided you're supposed to be and then exactly. make it work. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, I think that was a great way to describe it. Um, and thank you for doing that. Yeah. It helps that, um, uh, my very first YouTube video essay was about unicorn hunters and it's almost an hour long. So I've thought a lot about unicorn hunters in my time. (laughs) Is there a way to you that like to go about that in a better way, right? Like you said, triads aren't necessarily a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but like as maybe you're the couple who is like, well, that is what, like, we're kind of seeking out a triad with another, woman like is there a way to do that that isn't the unicorn hunting way that that is so like sort of frowned upon yeah um so this is the 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 number one way I think that triads can form in healthy, happy ways, and I know this isn't a very satisfactory answer, is honestly to let things develop organically. I know not many people want to hear that. People want to 
do the aggressively seeking and, and find that person like a, you know, a gem in a, a cave or something. But honestly, the most successful triads I have known have happened because two people met and started dating. And then one of them started dating another person, the original partner, person A met that new partner. And then they all just happened to work out. Like, I know people don't like that answer, but that's the best examples I've seen of triads. If you're are actually seeking it as like, this is a dynamic we really want to have. I think you just have to really dial back the pressure on this person that's going to be coming into your dynamic. I think that's a big part of it. Like, I think you need to be open to the idea that that person might only like one of you. They might not fit in well into your schedule because fitting into just one person's schedule is hard. Now you have to fit into two person schedule. Um, just being open to having honest conversations about what your boundaries are, you separately as people. I, I think that's a big part of it too, is just maybe not thinking of yourself as a unit coming into this. Maybe think of yourself as two people who are interested in maybe having another relationship with a third person and just see what that looks like. Um, mm-hmm. And just be open to the fact that, yeah, it might take you a very long time because it's virtually impossible to create that dynamic even accidentally, let alone when you're purposely trying to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think too. What's important to remember is that it's not just couples looking for women. This could be any gender person mm-hmm. who's out there on their own, yes. sort of getting because you're the the solo person. It, it can be, I think, easy for a couple to be self self absorbed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not not really think about the other person's like feelings and needs and wants. Even though that doesn't mean those people are like shitty people who don't care about other humans. But like when you get wrapped up in your stuff, it's sometimes, you know, you get a little self absorbed. Totally. And I, I think also um so many people don't so many people are used to the idea of a couple being mm-hmm. like what comes first. So mm-hmm. whenever you approach non-monogamy at all, you have to kind of start breaking down what that looks like. You have to like, I think you need to be willing to sort of unpack these sort of, again, societal norms that we all grow up with and recognize that like, you know, this, this idea of, of you being in an entrenched into each other's stuff couple doesn't have to be true in non-monogamy. It doesn't like you can still be together, but separate autonomous human beings. I mean, that's one of the reasons why solo poly, um, really appeals to me so much is that I, I am a separate human being. Even when I'm in a relationship with somebody, I am still mainly Mandy. And that person is very important to me. It took me a long time to, to get to be this person. Um, and I think sometimes with couples that are looking for that third, they can sometimes forget that they are two separate humans as well. And so sometimes they just have to like really think about why they, they, they enter into the dating world like that. And it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's, it's really hard to, to unlearn that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Super difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to change the subject a minute. Do you have any follow up on that? No, I think maybe just to say that, like, I think there are ways, like you said, there are ways to do this, that mm-hmm. you aren't preying on people. And I think I just didn't like people listening who are maybe looking for somebody as a third or looking for another person. Like, there are ways to do that. You're not just like these evil, shitty people, um, right. but but like right. proceed proceed with caution because um, the other person or people that you find are are again humans with feelings. And, exactly, and like, it agency. comes down to like treating those other people as humans with agency and feelings and all of that stuff too throughout the whole it, journey. 
Yep. No, I, I completely agree. Uh, as I said, I, I don't think wanting a triad is bad. I think unicorn mm-hmm. hunting specifically describes a predatory type of behavior. So if you're being yep. accused of being a unicorn hunter, maybe take a couple steps back and think about why that might be and then yep. proceed after that. That That's my biggest piece of advice. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. Switch the topic, Emma. <laughs> I get, I, get, I get hung up in the unicorn. <laughs> I know, I know. No, that's, that's totally fair. And I know you have such a wide variety of people that listen to this. And I'm definitely not here to be like, you know, screw triads, screw people who want a third. Like, it's definitely not that for me. I just, I've seen so many people get hurt by unicorn hunters. That I, I get a little, a little defensive yeah. of all of us, especially as solo polo people, because we tend to be the, the ones that are getting hunted. So it can be a little scary from our end. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And thank sense. you. And thank you for sharing. Yes. Thank you. Um, what I was going to change the subject to is I'm curious, how open in your life are you with your family and friends about your relationship dynamic and that you're queer? It sounds like you're pretty open, but yeah, yeah, of course. Um, I, yes, I am very open. I think part of that is that I have inherited my mother's mouth and I can't keep a secret anyway. So I'm just going to, bla- I know I'm going to blab about it about some point might as well do it from the get go. <laughs> um, there's, a couple of places in my life where I'm not as out. And like, for example, uh, I do work in an office. So at my office, I don't typically talk about being polyamory as much there. With that said, I am like Facebook friends with some of my coworkers and they know I'm poly. I talk about it on Facebook and on my other social media. So most people I work with that I'm actually friends with are aware. But like if they're say like a... I'm trying to think of some of the things we actually do. If there's like a pizza party and we're all getting our pieces of pizza and someone were to ask me like, oh, how, how's, you know, your partner? I probably wouldn't be like, oh, he's good. He really loves the fact that I fuck other people. Like I wouldn't just open up with that, <laughs> at right. that kind of situation. But with that said, I, I do talk about it a lot. I'm, I have my, my YouTube channel and I talk about it on social media. My, my, my mother and family has all been very um, supportive actually of it. The, the only other person that I would say I'm not really out to polyamorous or queer is um, my grandmother. And that's kind of a choice I made just because as sweet and as loving as my grandmother is, I just don't think she'd get it unless I showed up with a partner of either gender or any, a bunch of genders and was just like, this is my polycule. Mm-hmm. You probably have questions. Let's talk about this. <laughs> you know, like I, she's only ever known my boyfriends that I've ever brought home. And then when I have dated women, I just haven't dated them long enough to bring them to me, my grandmother. Plus I don't see my grandmother as much these days. So it's one of those things where as much as I would love to, to be open to her, I just don't think she would understand unless I literally showed up with two two or more people and went to explain like, okay, Grammy. So first of all, I'm not straight. Second of all, I like to date more than one person. How you feel? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I would hope she was like, well, here's my polycule at the retirement community. <laughs> that's the, I, that that's would be, the dream. That would be very surprising. <laughs> how conservative and how much of a, you know, a good Christian woman uh, she is. I feel like I've been making quote marks this whole time a lot. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but she, if that ever happened, I would be so taken aback. I, I would have a lot of questions for her too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, if it happens, we'd love to talk to her. <laughs> I will update you if that ever happens. Perfect. I'll send Perfect. you an email. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, I hope we're the first ones to get an email. If that yes, <laughs> That's first kidding. people. Yeah. <laughs> Emma and Finn. I'll put that on the list somewhere. <laughs> right. Oh boy. Um, one thing that we do like to bring up on the show and talk about often is 
sexual health and safety. And I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit about how you keep yourself safe uh, with multiple partners and exploring polyamory. Yeah. Um, so I do test myself, get tested regularly. Um, I, I get, there's a, um, there's a center, there's a place where you go get tested. I just totally forgot the name of it, but there's, there's a local place that I, I try to go to fairly regularly just to make sure. Um, admittedly it's been one of those things where, you know, in the pandemic, there hasn't been as much action as it were. So I haven't ha- felt the need to, to do as much in this past year, really. Um, but I do try to like have conversations with any partners that I'm going to, you know, have fun with, um, about like what, works best for everybody. Um, I have had a tubal, so pregnancy is not an issue, thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, but for other things like STIs and such, um, I usually do require to have some kind of barrier with my partner just for, just like as a base level safety device just to be safe. Um, and so far I haven't had any, um, safety concerns. The, the ironically, the one time I had a, a safety concern was back when I was monogamous. Um, so it's been, it's been quite a while since I've, I've actually had a scare luckily. Um, mm-hmm. so mostly it's, it's a lot of like, Hey, if you have a penis, we're going to use a, a condom no matter what. I don't do like, Oh, I get to pick one person who I'm fluid bonded with. That's just not my thing personally. Um, I rather just, everyone has like a base level of, of safety. And I usually ask like, okay, what are you doing with other people? And just so I have a, a general idea of like what everyone's doing. Um, but for the most part, it's just, I, I usually just try to take control of my own safety as much as possible by just asking who I'm running with to have some kind of barrier. And then I had the tubal so that no babies are happening in this vicinity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And thank you for sharing all that. I, I was maybe one additional question on the safety aspect is like mm-hmm. meeting people online, you know, even like you said, meeting somebody in Texas on Twitter, like keeping yourself safe, screening for Right. You said like, oh, yeah, I don't want to like wind up being buried in his backyard in like the middle of Texas out in his <laughs> ranch or whatever. Right. Like, so I guess how have you like gone about just keeping yourself physically safe um, in the dating world? Yeah. Um, so it, it's it is kind of funny because I have made jokes about how um, my boyfriend in Texas, we we just haven't actually met in person yet. We, it's all been in line. Um, so, you know, if he's catfishing me, he's been really putting in the work <laughs> to do it. He's been really, he's been sending me pictures of some other dude's face and video and he's been doing a great job. Um, <laughs> so maybe when we meet in person that the, the safety aspects will be interesting to, to figure that out. <laughs> so far it's going well with that. Um, in terms of meeting other people online, I usually have a rule that, you know, we won't go to my apartment or their place the first time we meet, like we'll meet somewhere public. Um, lately it's been like, you know, parks or somewhere outdoors just to be careful of COVID and, and, and such. Um, I usually try to tell people like what I'm going to be doing, where I'm going to be going. Um, you know, my, my, I'm very close to my sister. So I do tend to tell her a lot of details. So she knows if I ever stop answering her phone calls, then, okay, something's happened. Cause we talk almost every day on the phone. <laughs> so I have some of those like kind of built in safety things. Um, and I, and I definitely have, um, had issues where occasionally someone's been a little pushy about like wanting to meet up or go to my place or something and been like, no, actually this is a strong boundary. And if you don't like it, we're not going to meet up at all now. Um, I, I had that happen once where a guy got really pushy on the, like the first day of us talking just through, uh, I think it was through Tinder or Bumble where he was like, Oh, I want to come over. I'm a doctor. You can trust me. It's like, I don't know that, that. you could be anybody. You, you, you could be a, a serial killer for all I know. You're not coming over. Um, and he sent me all these like pouty face emojis 
and stuff. And eventually I was like, okay, well now we're just not meeting ever. And I just unmatched him and blocked him. (laughs) Yeah. The, the phrase you can trust me. uh, Usually you don't have to say that one. Right. Yeah. You can totally trust that I will not bury you in my backyard. Yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. mention your backyard. I'm gone. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Exactly. <laughs> Red flags. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think too, like a lot of this, like you said, with your partner in Texas, like it's a judgment game, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody on Twitter is a terrible human. It's just Twitter itself is a terrible place. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Very fair. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think you, you get to know somebody and like, you, like you said, you've watched movies and you guys video chat and you get a pretty good sense of who this person is and they're taking the same risk with you, right? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's that same risk. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just appreciate you sharing mm-hmm. how you go about doing that. So yeah, thank you. Totally. We wanted to give you the opportunity to uh, plug your YouTube channel and anything else that you wanted to talk about too, uh, and make sure that we have, you know, give you that opportunity. Yeah, thank thank you so much. I really appreciate you you all letting me do that. Um, so my channel is very new, and it's just under my name, mainly Mandy, like the state of Maine, uh, because I love a good pun, I guess, <laughs> like every other Mainer. And it's primarily about uh, non-monogamy. I try to make videos that are about different aspects of non-monogamy from a sort of non coupled viewpoint, um, because I feel like so much of the non-monogamy discussions and so much of the material out there does tend to come from sort of like people who are navigating it from having either a primary or a nesting partner situation. And that's not bad. That's, that's great. We need that material out there, obviously. But for someone like myself who lives alone and have been approaching this very much as a single person, uh, sometimes I do feel a little left out of those conversations. And sometimes I get a little frustrated that my perspective isn't as appreciated. Um, Part of the reason this channel exists is that I went through a situation where, you know how every now and again, a researcher or a journalist will pop up and go, we're looking for people to talk about non-monogamy with, like you'll see those. Um, I went through a period where I contacted like four different ones, I think, in a row, and only one of them wanted to talk to me. Everybody else was like, oh, you're a solo polyamorous who at the time didn't have any partners or only had sexual friendships happening. Oh, we didn't want to talk to you. It's like, Thanks. Thanks y'all so much. <laughs> it just made me feel very underappreciated. And it's like, well, fine. I don't need your janky ass Google survey. I'll go do something else by myself with these cool people over here. Um, so that was part of it. Uh, the other part of the the journey of making the channel was honestly the, we were talking about unicorn hunters earlier, where I had this idea of making a video essay about unicorn hunting for a long time, because I had noticed that unicorn hunters were going to the, were being directed to the original, like, you know, tried and true sources, like the Unicorn R Us site that everybody knows and some of those sources. And they just didn't seem to care anymore. It seemed like, you know, that's a, that website's existed since what, 2012 now? It's, it's a, it's a pretty old website and people aren't just really responding to it anymore. Um, meanwhile, the, the, the kind of creators and YouTube video essays that I like are created by people who are doing things like costume changes, LED lights, really interesting framing devices. Um, I make, you know, I make no effort to hide that my channel is very much inspired by, uh, creators like, um, Abigail Thorne from philosophy tube and Natalie Wynn from ContraPoints. Cause I really like their style. And I, they, because of the way they make their videos, I now understand a little bit of philosophy, not a lot. I'm, I'm still very much an amateur, but they help me make me feel like I know it. <laughs> so that was a very big part of the inspiration for my channel is I wanted to talk about non-monogamy in these sort of interesting, creative ways that hopefully helps people understand my perspective and 
this, this world, but in ways that maybe are not being talked about in exactly the right way. Like I'm trying to bring this like kind of unique perspective to it. Um, so like I have the, the, the Verf video was the unicorn hunter video that I, it's actually, uh, one view away from being a thousand views. So if you're listening to this, please go watch it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and bump that up. Um, but I also have a video about relationship anarchy that is talked about through the view of um, arguing that the character of Summer in the movie 500 Days of Summer might be a relationship anarchist. Um, so I did that. And then I also have a, a video I made more recently that's about like the differences between boundaries, agreements, and rules. And I try to present it in a fun way, which at one point includes sock puppets. So that's the kind <laughs> of person I am. <laughs> I try to make it interesting. Um, and, and full disclosure, sometimes I'm going to talk about things that aren't about non-monogamy because I like lots of different things. And I think that's the, the relationship anarchist in me a little bit coming out to be like, well, I don't want to just talk about one thing. You can't put me in a box. So, um, my next video is actually going to be about fat phobia. Um, and it's going to be talking about sort of the, the, this kind of pitting that we have in society of like the good fatty versus the bad fatty and what that means exactly explores, um, healthism specifically. And also talks about, um, the surprisingly really racist history of fat phobia. So my channel encompasses lots of different things, but, um, hopefully people enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. That's amazing. And, uh, props to you for putting your work out there as a video. Like that's a hell of a lot of work. It's like, yes, <laughs> magnitudes, uh, more uh, than a more podcast, than just audio on a podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. And we were like, podcast is a lot of work. How would we ever do video? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's, it's definitely challenging. Um, the, when I bought my first bit of equipment, I just had a moment looking at everything where I was like, I'm way in over my head. What am I going to do? <laughs> There's so many cords. There's so many batteries. Do I have good lighting in here? You know, I'm filming in a basement. This isn't going to work. Um, but right. somehow I, made it so <laughs> yeah. um, I, I do have a little like mic that I put on myself, like a little like, lapel right. mic. Yeah, so lapel. That, that helps with it. <laughs> Yeah, and then when I'm using, right. when I'm doing voiceover, I use the, the mic I'm using right now, which is like a nice little, mm -hmm. like kind of podcast style voiceover mic. So that, that helps yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, thank you again for that work and we'll make sure links to everything are in the show notes so people mm -hmm. can easily find it. Before we let you go, do you have any final words that you would like to share with the listeners um, before you get along with, I guess it is your evening. Afternoon, yeah. late afternoon. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Everyone Sorry, must listen to me now. Um, yes, right. <laughs> um, I guess I just would love to just end on the note that, you know, non-monogamy is such a, a wide umbrella. There's so much underneath that umbrella. There's so many varieties and it's honestly astounding how many different dynamics can come of that. So, you know, if you're exploring it, just be aware that the surface level stuff that you're learning, there's so much more underneath that. Um, this, this podcast, I, I really love this podcast because I've, I've, I've learned stuff about just how, um, how much more overlap there can be between the swinging and polyamory world, especially like not, not that I didn't think there was anything I didn't think there was anything wrong with swinging before, but I, I realized from listening to this podcast that in hearing other people's stories, it was like, oh, you know, I, I did have some like preconceived notions about how swinging specifically works. So through this podcast, I've learned about like, oh no, there's all kinds of different ways that just that can work. And then there can be an overlap. And then there's all kinds of different ways to do hierarchical um, polyamory, as well as the more unstructured relationship anarchist style. So if you're listening to this, just feel free to explore. 
Um, and I'll put this out there. If you explore and it doesn't work for you and monogamy does work the best, that's also okay. I, I'm the kind of person, I don't think monogamy or non-monogamy is better. I just think certain things work best for certain people. And that's 100% okay. If you, quote unquote, fail at non-monogamy, that is okay. It is okay to be monogamous as well. There are plenty of monogamous people I'm friends with who are amazing people and very thoughtful and very um, good beans, as it were. So feel free to explore. And if it doesn't work for you, that is 100% okay. Mm -hmm. I love it. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of your amazing, um, I guess, words and stories today. It was wonderful talking to you and uh, have a wonderful rest of your evening. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'll admit it was really surreal to, to be on this side of it. I'm used to listening. So I'm, I'm going to be so flabbergasted hearing my own voice later. Um, but thank you so much for having me. This was honestly a blast. You're yeah. welcome. Well, you're always welcome back, Mandy, and have a fantastic evening. Yes. Thanks. You too. <laughs> and we're back. Thank you so much to Mandy for reaching out to us, coming on the show, and being the amazing person that you are. It was wonderful to talk to you, and we're excited to send more people your way to your YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, listeners, go check out Mandy's YouTube. Check out all of her work and support it. Um, it's, it's important for us to uh, continue to support different creators in this small space. So thank you in advance for doing that. And again, thank you, Mandy, for being one of these awesome creators. Yes. We also wanted to remind everyone to please go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, and click on the Community Events tab. There you will find all of the information about Patreon, the in-person events, and the virtual events. So go sign up for them all, because why wouldn't you do that? <laughs> I have zero reasons not to. I will be at all of them. I know, right? So will I. You'll be there, so I think you should be there as well, listeners. Yes. So we're really excited about everything we have coming up, and we can't wait to meet so many of you yeah also as we said in the intro please reach out to us uh click on the contact us tab on our website send us an email let us know what you think of the show let us know what you think of emma and me let us know how we're doing let us know who you are we love to hear from all of you we love to meet everybody that's out there listening we respond to all of the emails so thank you thank you thank you for listening and for reaching out and for supporting the show yes Next week, we actually have a Monday. Monday episode. Oh, man. New listeners that haven't been... Like, if you're new in, like, the last, like, four months, you have not heard our Monday. A Monday episode. Man, oh, we're super, man. We're super excited. So this Monday episode is actually a really, 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 really fun... Is it fun, though? <laughs> I can't say really enough. It's a really fun conversation around orgies. Well, let's call them sexual gathering sure but we bring on it's a round table with leanne from episode 173 g from episode 180 and zach from episode 141 that was episode 180 not 183 oh yes you almost 183 to 180 <laughs> that's 173 180 and 141 so we have an amazing conversation stay tuned on monday for that well, just a little primer on that. So sure. all all three of them went to uh, elite universities. So G and Zach both went to Yale and Leanne went to Oxford. And while they were at these universities, they were part of various organizations that were organizing, 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 orgies yes. and sex parties. And they did a lot of work to make them inclusive and safe and fun. And so we brought them together to share with us 
how to do that. And we wanted to share that with you. And so we made a roundtable discussion about it. And it's fantastic. It's fun. It's a little sexy. It's, yeah, it's all of these things. Yeah. So come back Monday for that. And then on Wednesday, we have our standard Wednesday episode. Nothing standard about it, but it is on Wednesday. Yes, that's the only part of the standard. And that interview is with Jarrett. So, yeah, if you remember back a few weeks ago, we had an interview with Jamie. And Jarrett is Jamie's partner. And it is a fantastic discussion, and we're excited about that as well. So come back next week. You've got lots to look forward to, and we will see you then, and we will see you in Ann Arbor. And Atlanta, and hopefully Tampa. Yes. And online. And on our virtual. So we're going to see you a lot. (laughs) And at our Patreon calls. All of the things. (laughs) Okay, that's all. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.